this uh, Thanksgiving, you are able to spend some time personally with Christ, that you have time and get into this book. Uh, that the Bible becomes like your favorite pair of jeans or your favorite sweater, and that you get comfortable with this book. And uh, if you haven't started to read through the New Testament, think about next year. But for the next month, you might want to read uh, the book of John. And as we focus on uh, Christ coming in uh, in the Christmas spirit, what I want to do is I want to move through Ephesians because I don't want to be in uh, chapter 6 in the middle of spiritual warfare in the middle of Christmas. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to uh, quickly run through Ephesians 5 with what I think are some of the key topics that will help us understand this idea of imitation. And then the idea from imitation to move into influences, we'll talk about that next week. But, but we're going to run through this, and, and, and some of these themes are so deep that I'm just going to postpone them to next year, because when you get into the issues of marriage and family, that's a big one. And the issues of parenting, that's a big one. And the issues of spiritual warfare, that's a big one. But we're going to kind of run through them quickly. But today, we've got some questions before us, and I just trust that... Uh, as you pay attention, as you listen and learn, that there are some things that we're trying to emphasize for you. That you feel closer to Christ and you understand that we become biblically grounded in the gospel of Christ and that we become relationally relevant to our world because of what he does in, in and through us. And for that reason, we go into Ephesians. In Ephesians, when Paul would say, uh, be imitators of Christ in Ephesians 5. And it goes into Thessalonians and, and the, the Corinthians as it goes into Gentile world. The question that comes to mind is what makes Christians attractive? Why, why did they want to join the church like Bob and Pat did? What was it about those Christians in the early church? What is it about Christians today? What, what motivates people to step into a group like you guys? <laughs> And uh, the question's a, a good question because a lot of people say, I don't know what attracts Christians. Oh, sometimes in evangelism when I'm talking to people, I, I use this line. Uh, if I'm hesitating and don't know how to start a conversation, sometimes if it's just small talk, I say, would, would you mind? Uh, I never share with you, if I'm talking to a friend, I never share with you why I became a Christian. Would you be interested in knowing why I became a Christian? Most people say, yeah, why are you a Christian? Why do you do that? People are very responsive to that question. Can I share with you how or why I became a Christian? So they, yeah, so that's an open door. Well, the question is, what makes Christians attractive? And so the question is to you, what, what drew you to Christ? What, what motivates you? And for you to think about that question as you can communicate it, why, why are you a Christian? What is it that pulls you in, draws you in? Well, as we go back into uh, understanding as a kid, as you grow up and thinking about what influences you have in your life, Norman Rockwell would always have these paintings where you would have these images of heroes. And so you grow up with a certain idea of, I want to be like this guy when I grow up. Uh, what were your heroes growing up? Who are you attracted to besides Spider-Man or Batman or, 
the World Wrestling Federation guys with the mask, whatever. Who are your heroes? And as you grow up and you're thinking about who are the heroes today? Today there aren't many heroes. And I don't know if you would have somebody's uh, under, uh, you're flying under their wings, but the idea that there's, there's some influence, there's someone that you're modeling your life after. The CNN has that really heartfelt program where they're going out and finding people that are really doing worthwhile things and they become the heroes of CNN. <laughs> but, but if I were to ask you, if you were to say, I would like to, if I had a choice to be with anybody on earth that I could imitate and follow besides Christ, in one sense, on a human level, who, who would you pick up? Who would you say, I, I really want to be like that person? Some of us would be hard-pressed to think of some, but there may be some people who you think about. and who, who, Or to ask another way, uh, who's had the greatest influence on your life so far? Who are the people who've really shaped you into being the kind of person you are? What books? What author? He received the gospel. Paul didn't have the gospel, but he received it from an outside when he met Christ, of course. But the, the receiving of the influence of somebody else, somebody's investment in your life, somebody's interest in your life, began to say, I, I want to do that too. And so, as you think about the idea of who influenced you, people who took time, who would you choose uh, to spend time with? Now, there's one guy, Michael Gelb, he asked the question in his book, who's the smartest person ever? And I don't know, there's, he has a list of ten, but his answer is, it was Leonardo da Vinci. And so, uh, as you think about Leonardo da Vinci, uh, Michael Gelb writes that if we simply get to spend time with Leonardo in his book, you'll find that he has seven ways of thinking. And those ways of thinking were able to bring uh, Leonardo's mindset. And so if you just copy the mindset, and so you expand your abilities to be as creative as he was, as he was quite, quite creative. But as you begin to think about people who you would follow, this Thanksgiving, you might want to take time and send a note or call somebody and say, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for me. You may not know this, but you taught me how to read the Bible. You taught me how to manage my finances. You taught me so many things about dealing with my life. But today, when I go back into Ephesians, I want to go back to what Paul was saying to these men and women who were believers. Because Paul was investing and giving and influencing them. And he calls them, uh, he invites them to live our lives in chapter 4 in a manner worthy of of our calling. And so as Paul is telling these Gentiles who don't know much about Christ, as he is growing in Christ, and he says to follow the Lord, to follow the Lord, and this is the NIV, it says, follow the Lord's example, therefore, as dearly beloved children. And as a children, he's talking about a relationship, he's talking about a family, he's talking about a father, as kids who are loved, to imitate that love that comes from the Father. But he says, but I want you to walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and he gave himself up for us as a fragrant 
aroma as a sacrifice to God. Now, there is a problem with this idea. And I want you to hear this because in the NASB, New American Standard, it changes the word example. And this is the shift, and, and follow me with this, because it's easy to find someone who sets a standard or to set a pattern that you have to follow. Now, I don't know about you, but there are some people that when I get around, uh, there are some people that have set a very high standard. And there are some leaders that you would look to and say, yeah, I, I really, he's really honorable, noble. He did some things that, that are really worthwhile. And when I'm around certain kind of leaders like that, I, I feel challenged. I feel not, not so much pressure, but I always have a check of my life. Well, I should be doing this more. I should be doing that more. I should manage my time better. I should be writing more. I should spend more time alone reflecting. I need to spend more time in prayer. I, I, I knew a, a guy that was a, a national leader of a, of a group, and he came, and his claim to fame, not that he would call it fame, but he was known everywhere as the, the prayer master. And he would write every single prayer with a date and time. And he would keep on top of this little journal. And when God answered, he'd write the answer. He had books over years. And so he would talk about the promise. I, and, I, and I drove him from the airport to a conference. And I thought, man, I, I'm really looking forward to learn what he learned. But every time around him, he's just like, I'm so challenged by his prayer life. I can't do that. I can't, I'm not that good. I don't know what he knows. And so, but I feel pressure. Do you feel like that? That there are people who know the Bible better than you or people who can talk to people better than you. And when you're around those people, you feel like, oh, I've got to do more. I've got to work harder. I've got to be more committed. I've got to do something. There are those leaders that they don't attract me. They challenge me. And I learn from them. But the question is, what attracts you to certain people that you say, yeah, I want to be with that person, not just that you're challenged, that you say, oh, if I could only just spend some time with them. There are people that, you really, that, are, that are attractive to me because of the way they walk with Christ. It draws me. There's no pressure or there's no question about cost. It's like, let me in. If I get a chance to be with this person, I'm I'm going. I drove three and a half hours from Ann Arbor down to Winona Lake for one year to sit under one man for one day. Three and a half hours one way. I want to be with people who really are walking with God. I will go after them because they draw me and they attract me. They move me to say, I want to know what he knows. So if I could follow him. Do you have people like that? Do you have people that say, I, I, can I get some time with you? I'll, I'll invite you to coffee. I'll, I've got some questions. Can, can, do you do that? That's what Paul was saying to the Ephesians. That there is something I want you to know about God. And Ephesians says, God is integrating us. He's incorporated us. He's given us a church. In chapter 4, he says, I want you to be instructed. In chapter 5, he says, I want you to imitate. I want you to be imitators of God. 
may miss example, but this word of imitation, I want to take you back because you may misunderstand this as a Western Christian because the idea of being an imitator, a copycat, you simply mime what the other person does. And that's the word mimetes in the Greek is you are so close you can imitate the actions and you can impersonate and, and become like that person in an outward way, but not for Paul. Paul says this isn't a show. This isn't a, a, a pretense. This is not an actor putting on a mask. This is something more. And so to be imitators of God there's something about this as children, and children in particular. And he's talking to adults, right? He's not talking to little kids. He says, as beloved children. And what do children do? They look up to and they imitate their parents. So if a, guy, if a parent is reading, they pick up the, the value of reading. My dad brought home an Encyclopedia Britannica. He didn't graduate from high school, but I knew that there was something about this that my dad wanted all the kids to know. My, my brothers hated school. But for some reason, I picked up, this is important to dad, and I, I picked up on that, and I started learning. But if it's not just reading, if it's working, the work ethic, you work hard, you become like your dad, you become like your mom. And therefore, whatever they do, you do. As kids, right? Putting up makeup or dressing up or... Or not only the good things, but also some reactions that you have. And so you see this in your kids. You see how that works. Well, what I want you to hear is this. That on the imitation issue, on the imitation issue, there's some, there's some understanding that I want to influence you and shape your thinking because this is what I think Paul wants the Ephesians to know which is what we may distort. So let me go back to something that, that says that there's something that is not attractive to a whole lot of people about the Christian life is when they imitate the wrong things. And so let me take you back in history just a little bit to rewind time because there is and there was a time when Christianity was not attractive especially during the medieval time, when this guy named Thomas Akempis. Uh, Thomas Akempis was from the town of, of Kempen, German, in Cologne, Germany, near Cologne, Germany. But as Thomas went through the church at that time, the church was the dominant force in the culture and in the lives and the behaviors of people except it wasn't necessarily a good influence because the church at that time had been corrupted and they were selling salvation. You could buy forgiveness. And therefore, Thomas Aquinas, or sorry, Thomas Akempis uh, wrote this book on the imitation of Christ. How many have read that book? Look around. Nobody, which I understand, because it was written written in the 1400s. But do you know this book was the second most read book in all of Christendom? Translated in thousands of languages and uh, over and over again. We have more manuscripts of this book. And so 
I want to talk a little bit about this imitation that Thomas understood that if, uh, John Wesley, a lot of people, time, Roger, uh, Thomas More, uh, John Wesley, a lot of people, Martin Luther, they would pick up this book and they would say, what he is saying is really important for us in our understanding how to develop as disciples. And so at that time, this book was a product of its generation. And when Thomas Kempis said, the church is failing miserably because it is not attractive, it is oppressive and dark, and there's no life in the church, because the, char- the church was interested in hierarchy, dealing with kings, the new ideas and the trends that were coming through, but the focus on developing people's relationship with God was kind of absent. Just as long as you conform to the rules and you were going to be saved to go to heaven. Well, Akempis then was in charge of writing uh, these little discipleship follow-up books to help people grow in Christ-likeness. Now that was the theme that was opposite from just going to churchianity, but to going to Christianity, being Christ-centered. And so the idea is you want to imitate Christ. It was well-read. Everybody understood this. But it made a point that if you are going to be involved in church, it's different than if you're going to be involved with Christ. And so religion as a system, as a belief system, you simply had to agree with, and you get your box checked off. But Thomas Akempis went a little farther. He says, we want to focus on Christ. And he does in a way that we might do today that might be unattractive. So what, what he did was he emphasized that there are things that Christians do. And at that time, what Thomas Akempis said is, what Christians do to follow Christ is to deny themselves. Didn't Jesus say, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself? Well, what that meant for Thomas Akempis is that you're not important. And what you do is not important. You are a worm. You are unworthy. You should not even want to tie the sandals. He must increase. I must decrease. And so the idea of people of having worth and personal value wasn't in Thomas Akempis's thought. It meant if you were going to be knowing Christ, you had to either go into a monastery or a nunnery and deny every human interest that would be selfish or something that would make you, uh, again, you, you just get out of the way. And so if, if, if this denial of self meant Christ would come in and overcome and overwhelm who you were as a person, that became the dominant form of spirituality. You couldn't have thoughts that were yours or desires that were yours or relations. It was anything that had to do with self had to be removed. And that was hard. That was hard to deal with because for Thomas Akempis, it had to be only Christ, none of self, none of you. So he would go on to say that if you follow Christ, you would have the ability to become perfected in the sense that if you put away the self to such a degree 
that you could have the ability to say no to sin on a consistent basis, and you could be perfecting that influence John. Now, this was part of the teaching that influenced John Wesley in the perfection, perfecting of the saints. But the idea is that I have to deal with me and get rid of the things in my life to be like Christ. So in one sense, you would deny yourself, but at the same time, you'd focus on yourself to deny yourself. And so it became a, a constant sense of putting yourself down and looking, looking where you're, you're failing, but you're going to be perfected. And where does the perfection come from? For the, that time in the Catholic Church and the medieval church, it came through involvement with the church and the sacraments of the church. And so the infusion of grace would only come through the Lord's Supper and through baptism. And if you did not keep that up, you would lose grace and you would lose the perfection and therefore you could possibly lose your salvation. All those things came in through Thomas Akempis. But here's what I want you to hear. For Thomas Akempis, the Christian spiritual standard became another Jewish law type that you have to perform. You have to do. You have to go here. You have to do this. You can't do that. And this idea, if you're going to imitate Christ, it was about taking your life and stomping on it and getting rid of it so that Christ would somehow come in. Now, he does say, and in fairness to say, there are things that he wants to elevate Christ but it just seems the overall focus is to denounce yourself, denounce yourself, denounce yourself. If you denounce yourself, that's not necessarily imitating Christ. And so that's what I want you to hear. But for Jesus, it was a totally different. Jesus was interested in people. Jesus loved people. He was interested in what concerned people. And what we said today in Sunday school, you matter to God. And what you do affects the Spirit of God. So you don't want to grieve the Spirit, but there's a sensitivity to how this relationship works. But for evangelicals and Baptists and Protestants and Catholics alike, all the way across the board, if you take this standard of, I want to imitate Christ as I've got to be a better person, I've got to perform better, I've got to add this, you're going to feel a lot of pressure and guilt because if you, if you get it, you're successful. And you'll be proud. But if you don't, you try to do what Akempa said. You just got to humble yourself. Deny that stuff. And all of that is to say, and, here, and here's the point. That's not Christ. It's not Christ. It's not Christ. And so when Jesus comes into the scene, Christ is saying something radically different. Christ was not out to start a new religion. He was not out to start a new rule-based, here's how you live your lives. This is not the dear Abbey of heaven. Here's what you should do. Instead, what Christ wanted us to understand is that the way he related to the Father, the way the Father related to Jesus, this love affair was what Christ wanted us to have and enjoy. And to see that the copy, that the copy of Christ, the, the way Christ related and was sensitive to the Spirit of God, whatever the Spirit of God would lead him to do, he would do because he was step by step locked in this relationship with Christ. 
And so to see and copy the way that Jesus relates is the same imitation that I am to have when I relate to the Father. The faith that Christ had, the trust that he had, the love that he had, the willingness to sacrifice, the way, the way that relationship works is a way of joy, a way to celebrate all that God is doing. And therefore, John says, 1 John 4, I didn't get that one, did I? If that one comes in there, you. As 1 John says, this is how love is made perfect, complete. This is how love is going to work itself out in the sense that, that uh, we will be, have confidence on the day of judgment. And here's what the NIV says. In the world, we are like Jesus. And that kind of misses the point a little bit because it says in the New American Standard, not to be partial, but it says this, as he is, as, that adverb, it's like Christ is. That's how we is, are. Just get your attention. We become as he is. We relate as he relates and therefore, it's not a standard, it's not a morality, it's not a belief system, it's a relationship. And therefore, as Christ relates, we begin to have that joy of relating. That's what Paul is saying to the Ephesians. Now the Ephesians, they had a trouble, because they had all these Jewish people coming in and say, if you want to be a full Christian, if you're going to be part of this Jewish thing, you've got to be like the Jews, like the people of God in the Old Testament. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You don't have to keep the rules any longer. It's not about what you eat or kosher foods. It's not about what you dress or how long you keep your hair. It's not about if you go, and, and, and the big one, the big one is circumcision. For a man to become circumcised for the Jews, was that's part of the covenant. And Paul says, no, no. And radically, Paul says to the Gentile Ephesians, you don't have to be circumcised to be included in the promises of God. You don't have to keep the law to be included in the promises. And Paul was radical on this point. You've got to be kidding. When all these Jews from the Old Testament were saying, you've got to keep the law, you've got to go to the temple, you, and you keep substituting these rules and religions and performance and Paul says, no, 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 no. Just follow Christ. Be in step with Christ. It's this relationship. And so the Ephesians says, I got it. I just have to know Christ in a way that makes him known as he is. As he is, then you follow this Lord who's full of joy, full of peace. And he can walk around because he is a man fully alive as a man, full of the Spirit as a man, living his life as a man in perfect relationship with the Father. That's our call. Not that we have to improve our lives, but we improve our relationship with Christ. And if that's what you understand and walk away with, it means you are invited, having been integrated into the family, born again, 
brought into Christ by baptism, into the body of Christ, instructed to put off the old and put on the new. And now because you see Christ, you love Christ and you follow Christ and you imitate Christ. Wow. Because if you don't have this, the part that you need to do when you read Ephesians 5, because if you don't have this, you're going to read Ephesians 5 as a bunch of rules. Wake up. Pay attention. Don't be like the Gentiles. Be like Christ. And you'll see this in the wrong, you'll see it as a moral thing, and you'll see it as a performance thing. But no, no, no. When Christ said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, he who hears and believes me, he says he has eternal life. He has passed from death into life. And now he knows that Christ the Father has come to dwell within him. And so Christ was saying to the, to the disciples over and over and over and over and over again, our Father, our Father, our, Fa- our Abba. And Christ reflected to those men what it was like to be in relationship with a loving God as beloved children. That's the point of Ephesians 5. That's what we imitate. That's the attractiveness. And therefore, when you say, I know my God cares for me. I know my God's got every hair of my hair counted. I know when I go through cancer, God is watching over me. I know my God. And I love him. How many Christians do you know like that? Let me tell you, that will draw me every time. I want to know people who know Christ. And I want to walk with people who who are a step ahead of me or ten steps ahead of me. And that's where you come in. As older men and women, you set the example so that other people model for others what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be in love with Christ. And therefore... Paul says, don't grieve the Spirit, but in order to do that, you'll have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What on earth does that mean? To be filled with the Spirit, the same attitude that Christ had, meant that you would have an understanding of His will and His purposes for your life. What job you do, who you get married to, and how you relate to people, that's important. And then to know that how you relate to people, how you move, is the same way Christ would move in those relationships. Not just angry, but grieve when people aren't following Christ. But you move in compassion. And the idea that you would move, and and how you talk with each other. That's why this speech, that's why this speech is so important in Ephesians 4 and 5. You don't talk like the Gentiles, you leave that aside. But as you move, you go into this thing of worship of joy. God, you're everything I want. You're everything I want. And no human could ever compare with you. I want to be with Christ. And that leads to that thankful, thankful spirit. And therefore, as you sing songs, as you worship, as you talk with people, there's a positive, uplifting thankfulness because you understand how grateful, how graceful God is towards you and me. And therefore, as we do that, we move in serving in respect. And as a servant, we submit, we follow, we help, we coordinate, we cooperate. We are together as Christ was on earth. Well, what does it mean to be attractive then? Well, it means if you're in step with Christ, you believe in Christ. 
You know who he is. But to follow means you've got to be close. You've got to see him. And some people forget him and start doing churchianity rather than Christ. With the withered hand was touched to know that we have this personal interaction. Like the man with the withered hand was touched by Christ. The woman at the well was touched by Christ. And you are touched by Christ. When was the last time Christ interacted with you? He listened to you. He's doing something in your life where you know God is drawing you, calling you, and you respond to him. That's the Ephesians message. But you've got to keep in step, which means to stay in the word, stay in obedience, keep him in front, put him first. And that if we put him first, not as a rule, but as a passion, I love him. And that's what it would cause you to become such a radically attractive person because you're alive in Christ. Not just performing, jumping through hoops. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? That's what I want you to hear when it comes to this imitation. And so that's why Linda chose this song, Oh, to be like thee. Let me get that last verse. Oh, to be like thee, while I am pleading, pour out thy spirit, fill with thy love. Make me a temple. Met for thy dwelling. Fit me for life in heaven above. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee. Blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness. And stamp thine own image deep in my heart. That's what you want. That's why you're here. That's why we're here. To help us all grow in love with Christ. Let's pray. You're more than a hero to us, Jesus. You're more than a standard. Something to live up to. Something to get us out of our problems. You are the risen Lord who has stepped into our world and who dwells within our hearts. Father, thank you for bringing the hope that we don't have to jump through hoops. Thank you that the Spirit works through love and that you set us free to stand as full-grown men and women, fully alive by the power of the Spirit who makes us draw close to you. So Father, would you do this work and make these words sink deep into the roots so that of our inner spirit that we might understand you all, all the more so we keep in step with you. Now, Father, bless your children. Bless and build your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.